Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host Dr. Reed Robison and I are joined by both the CEO and Vice President of Hemp Lucid, Chase Hudson and Talon Stratton. Hemp Lucid is a company specializing in hemp-based wellness products, and Chase and Talon have built a passionate, humanistic, and purpose-driven culture over there at Hemp Lucid. Reed and I wanted to explore with them how their own healing journey through psychedelic medicine has helped them accomplish this. They're both wonderful, awake, insightful people, and I really enjoyed talking to them. Side note, if you want to reach out to us, please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. You can also find us on Instagram at Dr. Steve Thayer, at Interspace Doctor, and at Novamind. Please enjoy our conversation with Chase and Talon. All right, welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers. Hello. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer. Hi, everybody. Dr. Reed Robison. Hello. Today, we are joined with Chase and Talon from Hemp Lucid. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves to our audience? Yeah, um, I'm Talon. I'm the vice president of Hemp Lucid. Uh, got into contact with you guys probably a year, two years ago. Mm-hmm. So excited to be here. Excited to talk about psychedelic therapies with you guys. Same. Yep. My name's Chase Hudson. Um, one of the founders and CEO of Hemp Lucid, and excited to be here. It's fun to be at your guys' new clinic to see just the growth that you guys have had. We've we've known you for just over two years now and yeah just started in one i think it was just one clinic mm-hmm. springville springville and now you guys have expanded to i think like six clinics and still looking to expand yeah be yeah eight by the end of the eight year by end of year and i don't know if you remember steve but at the intermountain psychedelic symposium uh hemp lucid was a big sponsor yeah. That was fun right. to collaborate on that. That was, was a super fun, fun event. Yeah. <laughs> super it was a big fun. turnout. <laughs> Crazy yeah. big turnout. Way yeah. more than they expected. Yeah. Oh. Who knew? We were right. like, wait, huh. you could double, triple open those doors? <laughs> well, I remember oh, no Fat- we had Fadiman as one of the speakers, yeah. James Fadiman, and he was like, who knew there was a bunch of people in Salt Lake City, Utah, who were interested in psychedelic medicine? There's a lot. <laughs> that was Utah's big coming out of the psychedelic closet party. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely was. Those conferences are always so fun, too, because you get this fun mashup of like uh, academics, scientists, medical professionals, and then you have like the 1960s hippies and you have like the young folks who are really into the psychedelic scene yeah so you've got people in basically white lab coats and then people in homespun and dreadlocks and stuff yep all in the same drum all in the same yeah, all the same <laughs> drum circle. Yeah. exactly yeah my favorite t-shirt is from that the um stone date yeah. oh yeah artwork totally. we have shirt. I love that. several t-shirts that come into the office each week from that yeah yep. <laughs> it's great so cool well, tell us uh, and the audience a little bit more about Hemp Lucid. What do you guys do? Yeah, so Hemp Lucid, uh, we've been in business. Uh, we're going on our six-year business, but we are a hemp drive. We sell CBD products. So we sell tinctures, topicals, uh, vape products, um, gel caps. And, yeah, we've been doing that six years. Um, it's, been, it's, been co- it's been a fun journey. Uh, we got in. We got in it kind of the second wave of kind of CBD hitting the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we hit it. We hit it. Great, great timing. Um, and 
Yeah, company took off. We've been, um, I think we're almost up to 30 employees again. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's fun what we've been able to create. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm new to this relationship. I just met you guys today, but uh, you guys and Reed go a little bit further back. Uh, I'm curious about um, your interest in psychedelic medicine generally. Uh, and then we were talking before we hit record about the corporate culture that you folks have been able to nurture and create and engender um, and, some, and, and like what that has to do with uh, ketamine and ketamine-assisted therapy. Well, we kind of have a unique story with psychedelics. Um, I would say, you know, me, Talon, and then our other two founders of Hemp Lucid, we all went through a, a very quick, very radical um, awakening mm. using psychedelics. Uh, when we all lived together, that's when we started the company. So we were living together, we were working together, we were having ceremonies very frequently um and that created this just this explosion of consciousness between us four where uh, we were able to really find our purpose as a group align our energy and we used that to manifest currently what we have today Mm. i don't know if you want to yeah it, it created a lot of drive for us it created a lot of intention to help people heal utilizing alternative therapies, hemp being one of those things. Um, It was still kind of new to us when we started it. We were familiar with the cannabis space, but how could we bring healing elements to the greater population in a legal way? And hemp was that. Um, So we really got to dive into something and and have great intention behind it to to bring people closer to health, to bring people closer to who, who they are in a natural and healthy way. And it launched, and I think that intention pushed it forward at a pace uh, we could have only dreamed of. Really, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was fun. It was it was fun to go through this awakening with, you know, when you think of psychedelics, you think, um, you know, the typical families. But the experience of it is you're you're kind of being removed from reality, and you're being introduced to other other realities and other awarenesses and CBD um, I think CBD is one of the most powerful psychedelics in a sense where it starts to unlock the mind it starts to connect the mind to the body very very subtly and mm-hmm. so over time um, the the really the yeah the mental connection um, to the body but then also it, it seems like it starts to pull back um, like cultural programming and kind of open the door to the other more traditional psychedelics because it's just once you start the healing path or you start taking cbd or you get into cannabis it just it seems like there's an eventuality that you get to where you're looking for other plants to help you heal from um yeah whatever you're trying to heal life i love that purpose that you both articulated it's really uh Really neat to hear. It sounds like something out of a Ram Dass storybook. Or it reminds me of the, like the Millbrook house that used to have these shared experiences in, or that shared awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something powerful and synergistic about it. Very much so. 
Yeah, going through that with a community of people, people that you could bounce ideas off or experiences off of that, could you could do it without judgment, you know, and experience experience the awakening together. And I think CBD was a crucial part of that. I mean, for me personally, getting off some pretty terrible pharmaceuticals, knowing that a plant could come in and help treat or help help me get better without the need for, you know, something toxic and harmful to my body. It was great. Yeah, we were just talking about before this, uh, the need for more CBD research and more awareness and more good um, protocols for people to use. But I've noticed that when medical cannabis came to Utah, at least us as an organization and as prescribers of medical cannabis for certain things, we're dishing out a lot more CBD now uh, alongside THC, whether it's for pain or PTSD and related symptoms, insomnia, uh, things like that. But there's also really, I'm a fan, there's really really interesting evidence about, you know, CBD in combination with THC for certain things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've, we've seen it. I mean, it's, it's kind of been fun for us because we're, you know, we're, all, we're like in the trenches watching people go through, um, just their healing journey and because there's not a lot of science around it so hearing people's experiences hearing their stories you know all the anecdotal um uh, stories we get it's it's really cool to see how people are utilizing cbd you know in combination with thc and how they're healing Um, yeah we get stories every week uh we read them during our company meeting um just people's stories because it's it's just it's amazing that's what's neat. going on out there. It's it's really cool. That's where it begins too. The stories. That's how ketamine came into psychiatry. Just the stories, the observations of people coming out of say anesthesia with an improved mood or outlook, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then come more studies, a more widespread adoption. Yeah, yeah and I think it, it's those stories can sometimes be uh, neglected or not thought of as like robust as robust as really big quantitative research data is like the the randomized clinical trial is this the holy grail of clinical research but qualitative research where you're collecting uh, individual case studies or individual Mm -hmm. stories is oftentimes where the fire gets sparked for interest Mm -hmm. in, in any particular therapeutic approach or medicine and so people will say oh you're just an n of one like your story like who who, that could have been placebo or whatever um and they'll use that to dismiss individual stories but i don't know i I feel more compelled certainly i am compelled by big data sets but i I feel more compelled by an individual's Mm -hmm. story their Mm -hmm. healing journey absolutely yep it's the observational reality of this person's taking this thing and it's having this type of effect and um, yeah, that's what sparks kind of the bigger the bigger research. So that's a fascinating origin. And then, how did ketamine come along for you? Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of a wild story. Um, so we, um, yeah, we were contacted to be part of a documentary, part of a um, treatment um, with Lamar Odom. So they were going to use our CBD products in conjunction with um, ibogaine and ketamine. Um, so that was kind of our first introduction 
to it, um, seeing seeing the effects that ketamine had uh, on Lamar uh, was was very profound. Um, and then we had Talon and another l- lady that worked for us go to L.A. Uh, to receive ketamine treatments with Doctor Doctor Mendel. Mandel. Mm-hmm. So her um her and the other lady that was the kind of the first um probably within our group as far as people experiencing ketamine so yeah i mean for me it was life-changing very very rapidly life-changing um we went out there and within my first treatment i was like it it felt like a light bulb turned on inside Mm -hmm. of my mind and i was calling back home i was talking to you and the other founders and was so open just like Mm -hmm. I mean it was incredible for me Mm -hmm. and um I had two treatments while I was out there just a couple of days apart IV uh, IV yeah yeah. and came back home and it just my life was different things that I couldn't have ever imagined I was able to do I was doing like I'm not a runner and I got Mm -hmm. home and saw the backyard and was like like I'm going running or I think that's when I started to meditate and there was just a profound difference. I could see it. Chase could see it. Mm-hmm. The other founders could see it. And from that moment, Chase was like on the internet looking for how we can provide ketamine or get some other people to experience this medicine here in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. So we kind of ran into a doctor that was doing it, pushed more people through. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you had done it yet. You were just pushing. Can you, uh, tell a bit of the Lamar story just if anyone hasn't heard it Mm -hmm. this is from when he hit rock bottom right yep so he hit rock bottom um yeah had one of his friends contact uh one of the guys who was involved with the movie the actual director and uh was like you know I've got a friend um he just listened to uh he was giving a speech at Hippocrates on ketamine so that's Mm -hmm. when Lamar's friend approached him and from there that's that's kind of when they um, took Lamar and started giving him these treatments. So they did, oh, man, it was a long year. It was pretty much spent a year chasing around celebrities and people in Hollywood. And it's, I just, I got exposed to a whole world that um, is just, it operates differently. You know, mm-hmm. with the sports world in Hollywood, it's oh, yeah. just the type of people that I never really had to deal with. So it was just like a crash course for me because, you know, <laughs> Hollywood and sports people, it's, I'm a redneck hippie from the mountains <laughs> and the other people's motives and the way they do business was, it was very tough for, for me and the company and everybody involved. But, uh, through that, uh, through that year, yeah, followed Lamar around, uh, multiple ketamine treatments, um, Went down to Mexico and did Iboga. Um, I did Iboga with him. You did? Huh. Mm-hmm. And oh. that, that <laughs> was very profound. Um, probably the hardest Probably the hardest thing I've done to date as far as plant medicine mm-hmm. um, space. Uh, but it was very profound for Lamar. He had um, just unbelievable experiences and uh, just a huge amount of, of healing and uh, broke his addiction to crack cocaine 
um, and a couple other addictions. And to this day, still, he he stays away from all that uh, all that bad stuff. Amazing. Ibogaine is fascinating to me. I've never experienced it personally yet anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and it does have that reputation for kicking your ass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but tell me if this is uh, true, this kind of assumption in the field that you have psychedelics like ayahuasca that help you move through stuck emotions. Mm -hmm. And then uh, something like Ibogaine that shows you more your patterns, like you see it all, your addictive patterns and uh, in addition to just kicking them out of you or, or wiping the cravings mm -hmm. away pretty uh, efficiently. Very efficient. Um, <clears throat> I stopped drinking after I did Ibogaine. I was never really a heavy drinker, you know, just typical college uh, drinker. <laughs> um, but um, alcohol addiction did like run in my family. Um, but yeah, after, I mean, I had a very, very vivid, detailed experience in Iboga where it was showing me what was happening to my body and my brain every time I would drink alcohol. Hmm. And the message was, this is a long-term game you're playing and you need to be healthy all the way up until the end. And continually drinking alcohol is damaging your brain and your body. And since then, which was over three years ago, I think I've only had two sips of alcohol just to sit wow. and just ugh, didn't you, like it. You got the message and hung up the phone as Alan Watts likes to say. Yep. Well, the social yeah. media too, that aspect of it. Yeah. Social media. Yeah, it was telling me we're not ready for it. Um, just, yeah, it, it, sh it was showing me like, um, when I created my Facebook account, my MySpace account, mm -hmm. and then it was like this reel from when I, started it to just the current present day wow and like everything in between and it was like look your your species isn't ready for this like everything you see electronically is imprinted in your brain and so it was like a third of your brain is full of just crap myspace yes <laughs> what a trip <laughs> <laughs> so it i had this dialogue with it where it's like do you want me to clean that out and i'm like yeah and i underwent brain surgery i mean, I had this very cool visual of ibogaine coming into my body and my brain is a bunch of like trillions of these little nano robots hmm. and started scrubbing my brain and um it was a it was a trip but very wow. very very healing and um we were one of the most profound experiences i've ever been through sounds like it lasting changes mm -hmm. in just a couple ceremonies just one one wow yep. one four-day ceremony and then i was in a hotel in san diego for another four days tr just trying to recover um my balance i couldn't hmm. walk very well i mean probably could have been a little bit better as far as professionalism around that ceremony hmm. so <laughs> oh that's that's fascinating i want to i want to bring it to utah to study yeah, I think it would be, I, I think Utah needs that um, with all the addictions to prescription yeah. pills and the things that are going on here. I think, yeah, however we need to help you do that, let us know. Yeah, Deal. there's, a, hu there's yeah. a huge need. I mean, for when you think of what drives addiction generally, whether it's to a substance or to, 
you know, a relationship or to a pattern or something like social media. It's oftentimes this gap in us that we're trying to fill with something that doesn't quite fit the space. Um, mm-hmm. And to hear you describe your Iboga experience, it it's blows my mind just listening to it because this we don't understand how this works or why it's, at least I don't, I'll speak for myself, <laughs> I don't understand how this works or why this 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 harrowing psychosurgery that you went through, really, really challenging, um, would lead to such long-term trait changes, right? That's something Reed and I have talked about on the podcast a lot, like the difference between a change in state and a change in trait. So you have mm. these state changes, like your mental state, the non-ordinary state of consciousness that you go through, whether it's alcohol or jumping in a cold pool or hyperventilating yourself. There's lots of different ways we can alter our mental states, but very few of those moments in an altered state would lead to lasting changes in your traits. Like, oh, I no longer even have the desire to drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. That's a shift in your trait. Or now I'm going to be a runner. Now I want to be outside. Mm -hmm. When we're depressed, we just don't want to move. We hate ourselves. We have this really locked in trait of, you know, that we call depression. And then something like this flips that upside down and totally changes it. And this is what, Mm -hmm. you know, we love to see as mental health providers is somebody who actually makes lasting changes. And it is so hard to engender that in our clients. It's one of the reasons that I was drawn to psychedelic medicine. It's just frustrated for what I could and couldn't do for my patients. For sure. We Mm -hmm. sometimes call it altered states for altered traits. But like you look at these psilocybin studies with brain imaging, one dose of psilocybin, not only is there are you occasioning a mystical experience, but you're creating this immediate shift towards mindfulness, openness, things like that. You're like flipping the lid off of someone's previous self-imposed limitations. And I always feel the need to make the caveat when we, when we start getting really excited about psychedelics, because we, I mean, the name of our podcast <laughs> is Psychedelic <laughs> Therapy for the yeah. is, okay, there are also many people out there who have had experiences with psychedelics that either ruin them mm-hmm. Um, or were disappointing in that they didn't make these lasting changes we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's not a panacea. It's not a cure-all. Just because you get mushrooms from your buddy who lives in the woods, it doesn't mean you're going to be Jesus or Buddha or or Michael Jackson or whatever, whoever you worship. It's um, (laughs) So, you know, we're trying to temper the excitement, but there are good reasons to be excited about this frontier. Oh, yeah. There's lots of reasons to be excited. And... The, the thing that we're currently, um, you know, currently offering with, with our company um, in the ketamine space is um, once a quarter, we um, offer ketamine treatments to our employees, and it's been fun to, to just watch how our culture has shifted, um, our relationship to business, our relationship to our employees. Uh, it's been, it's been quite the quite the journey with ketamine assisted psychotherapy within our own company that's something we were talking about before we hit record and that i'm really proud of you guys for and interested in is the way you've shaped your company culture around mental wellness and around community and around like really seeing your employee as not a cog in a big machine but as a human being with whom you're united on a purpose the purpose being you know you have a very purpose-driven you know you know company I was scrolling, speaking of social media and addiction, I was going through a TikTok rabbit hole the other day, and I got this video of Simon Sinek 
talking about our labor crisis in, mm-hmm. Amer- in America mm-hmm. right now. Um, on the <clears throat> going through the COVID pandemic, people not wanting to go back to jobs that they hated because time away from those jobs have helped them realize, like, I don't want to work for a company that doesn't give a shit about me. Right. Um, and maybe I don't have to. Uh, and it was, like, one of the number one reasons why people aren't going back to work is they want to be in a place where they're treated like a human being. They want to be in a place where they feel connected to the purpose of the organization and really seen. So I'm curious if, if you want to share any other details about how you've created that culture at Hemp Lucid. Yeah, Um you know, before we started Hemp Lucid, I worked at um, many, many different jobs. And the, the one previous to this, I was facing burnout. I was facing not feeling cared about. Um, I just wasn't happy. And really, it was through a ceremony that we did at our house. I was like, wow, this is like actually killing me. Like it's sucking the life out of me. Mm-hmm. And so I was very cognizant of the experiences that people do have of feeling like a cog in a machine where you're not really cared about. So we just had this beautiful opportunity, first of all, to create a company and second of all, to create a culture within that company that followed what had helped us heal. So it it really just turned into, well, okay, we have a bunch of humans that like us have gone through a bunch of trauma and they're bringing that trauma with them to work. It's, it's how it happens. You don't get to just turn that on and off when you enter the office space and leave the office space. Like you carry it with you wherever you go. And Chase is very, very good at talking to people and pulling out their story. So people would just spill their stories in our offices um, during the day. And for us, it was just as simple as like, this is what's helped us. You know, we've done these things. So we know that you might benefit from them. And really, it was that first ketamine experience uh, for me that launched being able to do it for other people and integrate integrate the therapies to allow people to come to work um, or show up in their lives a little bit differently. And it's made a huge impact. It's made an impact on how we work together as a team, how people show up on an individual basis, um, and that that feeling of being cared for. I mean, people don't experience that in most of the world. I mean, walking through the grocery store, it's hard to even get people to make eye contact with you, let alone be like, I really care about your story Mm -hmm. and I really care about your healing. I mean, that's the whole purpose of what we're doing with CBD. So why not integrate therapies and legal therapies, yeah. you know? And that's kind of how we bumped into you. And it's it's just, it's had huge waves of impact mm-hmm. in our lives and the lives of our employees' families. There have and, been some big, yeah. heavy traumas that have come through our doors. Oh, yeah. And Yeah, I felt those ripples too, sitting with many of your team members coming out of the ketamine experience for the first time or their you know fifth time whatever it is um it's amazing to see that brave deep inner work they're doing and that community that boosts them up and i can only imagine the benefits it's it's had to the community the tribe at work but all like the productivity absenteeism all that Mm -hmm. but they're in their own lives and their um sphere of influence as well it's uh yeah you're pioneers in something that I think is extremely important and people are realizing more and more in this crisis. Yeah. Uh, We talked about it earlier today, you know, 10 years of our lives for the average person is spent at work. So what are we doing in these spaces to create healing instead of 
I mean, a lot of work can be stressful. It can be chaotic and that, that stuff is going to enter that space. So what are we doing to offset that? I feel like as employers, as leaders, it's, it's our responsibility to provide tools of healing. If we have mm-hmm. them in our pocket, we can't mm-hmm. just sit on them. Yeah. We have to have a little bit of courage and talk about things that not a lot of people are talking about, but are making a huge difference. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I read recently, there's a lot about this in the, in the news and the literature, burnout, stress, um, that the number one cause, the number one factor in people's mental health concerns above even trauma is workplace stress. You can see how trauma might have a bigger impact in some severe traumas, of course, but such a common uh, influence. And I saw something about 80, 80 some odd percent of people cite, you know, emotional distress from workplace related stress and issues. Um, so there, there's a problem out there that's rampant. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the big variables that contribute to workplace stress they can be what you're doing for your work. Like if you feel like your work is meaningless or stupid or the, or the job that you have to do is too hard, that can be stressful. But my, mm-hmm. my guess would be that most of it is the human beings you're around, mm-hmm. right? People quit yeah. retail, not only because retail sucks, like if you've ever worked retail, oh, yeah. but oh, yeah. usually because their <laughs> managers are, treat them terribly. Right. Oh, yeah. Or their co- there's so much, you know, toxicity among their coworkers. So when you talk about culture, like in, in community within Hemp Lucid, you could have somebody doing a really, really hard task, one of a, maybe even a task that stretches their competency. But if they feel supported, if they feel like you, you have their back, that even if they did sort of fall apart, you even have resources for them to mm-hmm. get well again. I mean, I imagine your turnover rate is going to be pretty low. It is. Uh, we actually did an interesting cultural exercise at our at our work the other day and Mm -hmm. some of the top traits of what people believe that like what our top beliefs are what our top values are and what our top behaviors are all revolve around health and wellness Mm -hmm. all of them hard work was low on the list yeah but like that we genuinely care about Mm -hmm. the health and the wellness and it's it's especially important um for top level leaders i mean the amount of stress being a ceo causes and the the different things that your brain has to hold. I know Chase has utilized these treatments massively to help to help keep his mind functioning and clear because there's a lot of stuff that can get trapped. So that's also been another really big positive for us in, mm-hmm. in leading it is doing it ourselves and passing that culture down that you do have the power to heal, that you can dive in and you can get better because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this, there seems to be this new um relationship between corporation and employee Uh, just like you were talking people don't want to go back to work Mm because they're just they're burned out they're sick of the corporate you know soul-sucking world so it's there's this opportunity right now to have a new contract between employer and employee and um when you start looking at your company and the people that are working um, for you when you start really looking at the mental health aspect I, I think that I think that is going to be the future that more corporations are going to have to implement so, some sort of mental health program protocol um, because their employees are going to demand it yeah isn't it fascinating that 10 years ago we were struggling uh, with these mental health parity 
like just not just the stigma, but you couldn't get access from your same health insurance to mental health treatments. And we're coming a long way. There's a long way to go, but uh, but uh, it's really an era where that's spilling out on the surface, uh, out of necessity. And we're all seeing you know, we we need to pay attention to it. And you know, it's really beautiful what you're doing in the workplace for it. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's like Tom was saying, we have like a duty and responsibility. I mean, the, the there's a shift happening in the world, happening in our culture. Um, it, it seems like this old, there's like an old structure of reality that is falling away. And this new reality is being built and formed. And I think with what we're doing, what you guys are doing, um, this is part of the foundation of the new world between, you know, corporations and employees um i mean the work that you guys are doing i mean it's it's like all hands on deck right now to create the foundation for this new thing that's happening and it's it's an honor to be a part of it yeah and we need more people to be a part of it because i if we either wake up as a society or we don't make it Mm -hmm. like i think that the the earth will gladly recycle us if uh we don't figure this shit out mm-hmm. and start treating each other better, right. yeah. start treating ourselves better, start treating our environment better. Um, we just can't, we, I don't think we can make it into the next chapter of human civilization operating under the same sort of old fashioned, outdated mental software programs mm-hmm. that got us where we are now. I mean, and I love Absolutely. where we are now pretty impressive, but man, we are dinged up. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think, uh, this, the plant medicines that we have access to to help us wake up, really important. The mental technologies that we have, like meditation, um, to get to know human consciousness in a way that most of us have been ignorant to. Because these technologies, these, these well, I call them technologies, but like um, these strategies, these awarenesses have been the purview of religion or spiritual traditions. Um, and so, you know, I, I love that we're starting to take the best science that we have from these Western traditions and mm-hmm. mix it with uh, these ancient mental technologies mm-hmm. from spiritual traditions. And I think that's what, when I say waking up, I think that's what it looks like. I totally agree. And even the, uh, the way that psychotherapy has embraced the body and mm-hmm. somatic work and the importance of it is a new thing in, in mental health, in psychiatry, psychology, and um, from not that many years ago, when it was all kind of top down, but we're seeing really powerful healing coming from going through the body or engaging the body in that journey. Are you guys familiar with Peter Levine? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like he's, I love his um, work. Yeah. The somatic, I think that's, I mean, I think that's definitely another frontier that's just about to just absolutely explode because the nervous system, trauma being stored in the body, um, I mean, just when I was in Peru, I had three or four ceremonies where my body just shook violently the whole ceremony. Ayahuasca. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you're reading Peter Levine's book and understanding how traumas get stored in the body and you have this animal part of your brain and like we're part Mm -hmm. of nature. We like forget that part. Um, But it, it was good to understand what was actually happening. And I, I love Peter Levine, his work. Um, I mean, yeah. our founder, one of our founders is actually facilitating down in Peru right now. And 
after she's mm. done with that she's getting into the somatic therapy and healing so it's it's exciting to see like our group starting to break off into that mm -hmm. facilitating world but also mm. the somatic therapy and yeah the like the plant medicines we're talking about um you can't help but pay attention to the body when you're in these plant medicines. But I, I was just looking up as you were talking. There's this, um, I don't know who created this organization. Maybe you know, Reed, but the Psychedelic Somatic Institute. Um, they created this therapy called Psychedelic Somatic Interactional Psychotherapy, PSIP, mm -hmm. where I believe he uses cannabis as mm. the plant medicine um, to really get people in their body past their blocks to their trauma. And he's got videos on the website of him doing this therapy, but it's very, very somatic, somatically based um, and depth psychology, I think, uh, kind of psychodynamic influences. And he's got people shaking. He's got people regressing to, like, their childhood selves, processing, yeah. like, attachment traumas. And But he's not using, like, some super powerful psychedelic. He's using cannabis. Yeah, we use Peter Levine's somatic experiencing a lot here. I've used it countless times in ayahuasca settings too, both with helping people and and uh, personally. Because you know, I've I've noticed that there seem to be a couple main categories of ayahuasca trips. Like you could have a body trip, or you could have, you know, an emotional mind soul trip, mm -hmm. and any combination of those. But but I remember one time, one of my first ayahuasca ceremonies in the jungle, just uh, having like th these vibrations, this feeling of vibrations, and then shaking. And one of my legs even cramped mid-ceremony. I thought it was the weirdest thing. I wasn't exercising. Like I've had that swimming laps before, <laughs> like training for a triathlon or something. But, but it was wild yeah. um, to see like what is in the body and what can come out, um, like pins and needles tingling at times body keeps the score yeah it really it does. It and, does and it you can access your trauma through the body like you were talking about i think sometimes it's difficult um because it's hard to feel safe in your body and i mm -hmm. think a lot of our culture keeps us from that keeps us from the signals that are being transmitted through our bodies and mm -hmm. it's tough it's tough to get to that spot where you're where you're in your body and you feel rooted and, and grounded in it enough to to start some of that somatic Healing. Yeah, that's the challenge because our body is our best resource for like grounding for resilience. Yet, when we have big traumas that disembody us, you lose that, mm -hmm. and then you're you're not on very solid ground in that state. You don't have a very big window of tolerance, and and so that's yeah. I think yeah. you're hitting one of the big reasons why these modalities are so powerful, and and there's so much like bang for your buck and high yield early on and doing this kind of work w weren't you saying that you're bringing in some somatic things at work yeah um that's another just tool for people to or we want we really want to just empower people to to be able to facilitate their own healing so that can look like doing breath work when you're feeling mm -hmm. really, really stressed out or traumatized, getting into the body to feel what's happening in the body and then to kind of dive deeper into what, what where those feelings are generated um, and how we can transmute them. So we really want to yeah. start getting more into that five minute, 10 minute morning, either meditations, um, movement, breath work, 
um, self, like self-touch, um, moving energy in the body, becoming cognizant yeah. of energy in the body, feeling safe in the body, and, and giving people the groundwork to start um, exploring some of those feelings, some of those hard feelings that we tend to push away. <laughs> and really, it's kind of been a theme of ours lately is just turning in and facing the storm, you know, instead of trying to run from it because you can't yeah. really fix something mm-hmm. you're running from. Mm-hmm. So true. That is so true. And it's so foundational to healing, to like any kind of psychological healing. It's the only way out is through. And I was explaining this to my kid the other day, like why people are addicted to things. And I like to quote Gabor Mate, you know, that uh, when we, when we have an addiction, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. Mm -hmm. Because Hmm. the addiction is almost always there to address some kind of underlying pain. We're trying to avoid or cover up or fill that hole. But, um, you know, when, when you can really, like you were saying, Talon, like turn inside, look at the storm and have all the support that you need to feel strong enough to weather that storm, that's when you're going to grow. That's when real growth and really healing will happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where the quote is from, but it's uh, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be there. Pain Sounds will be Buddhist. there. <laughs> it's one of the many probably really good fake Buddha quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that. I cite it often. Yeah. yeah. It just came from the universe. It did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It did. And there, there are tools to learn that. There are tools to learn to sit with pain. Um, another fun one that a friend of mine have been talking about lately is just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, like it's okay yeah. to feel the hard stuff. It really is. And I think as maybe a culture, we've, we've taught people to shy away from that stuff. To bury it and then it does get trapped and yeah. that's where disease comes from these things get trapped in your body and your body reacts mm-hmm. it's true and we're habitual creatures and in this day and age we have so many ways of running from pain <laughs> and distracting ourselves Absolutely. from it like whether it's turning to swipe through your phone or think about something else look at something else or numb out with any assortment of different uh, tools it's um, it's tricky like like you said about social media our species is not ready for the magnitude of this right yep and I, I think we're gonna see that I mean I feel like we're kind of already seeing that yeah but I, th- I think in the next several years this new generation that's coming along I think there's gonna be a lot of I don't know maybe early burnout I mean, just the constant stress of the nervous system and just constant engagement. You know, like, I mean, I know, um, yeah, but I mean, people in my family and their kids, it's it's just they're always on their phone. And it's just like, man, I, yeah. I don't think that's good. People like, are constant. noticing it. I, mean, people, I think you're right. I think, I mean, we even have data in the early 2000s. Uh, psychologist Gene Twenge wrote a book called Generation Me. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Her and this was older stuff. I'm sure I think she has some updated stuff about especially how social media affects teenage girls um, and the depression rates just skyrocketing. Um, But like the recent negative attention Facebook is getting for knowing, I guess one of the Facebook whistleblowers said that you know they internally knew the negative effect their platform was having on the mental health of people and you know weren't honest about how they were exploiting those things. Uh, allegedly, I guess I should say. that I don't think I don't think we're going to tolerate it. I don't think the mm-hmm. younger generation is going to tolerate it. Um, 
And it's, I think it's one of those things what we were talking about earlier about really waking up. We need to wake up to uh, this insight that you had that I, I don't think our conscious mind, this our species, is ready for this technology that in some ways is smarter than us. Like mm-hmm. it hide, it's a race to the bottom of the brainstem and it hijacks mm-hmm. our limbic system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's too much for us to handle in a mature way. And maybe we need to have better tools to bring our conscious mind back online and say like, wait a second. I always reference TikTok because I think it's like the most dangerous and entertaining <laughs> one that's alive <laughs> right now. Totally. Like, wait a second. I've been scrolling here for an hour. Why am I even doing this? Right. You know, don't I have something better to do? Right. <laughs> yeah, the, it's that awareness as one of the big antidotes, awareness, connection, using the body as a tool. Yeah, yeah. and what's imprinting on my brain after an hour of TikTok? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, is that serving me or? Yeah, I, w- I, w- I remember going to bed one night. Uh, I'm totally out of the closet as an occasional TikTok user, okay? Everybody forgive me. But I remember going to bed one night and I had some some random TikTok yeah. like trend uh-huh. just playing on repeat in my mind. I'm like, yeah. that's what I'm going to bring into the dream world. Yeah. Totally. Is some weird random TikTok trend, which it wasn't necessarily noxious. But imagine the people for whom the algorithm has figured out, oh, this person really likes, uh, you know, this type of negative news. Mm-hmm. Or they really like this kind of message. And it puts them in this little echo chamber of paranoia and anger and tribalism disorder content yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it locks them into that and then that's what's being imprinted on their mind and it's Mm -hmm. shaping their consciousness it's shaping Mm -hmm. who they are Mm -hmm. yeah yep i think the fallout is is going to be bigger than what people like i don't think we can fully comprehend the fallout of social media technology on our culture just yet i think we're starting to see it but i don't know just it just feels like there's going to be a big mental crash with this next generation that's coming up. Yeah, I think we see it already um, in the mental health crisis, the workplace crisis. Like, I know it's multifactorial, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the workplace is its own source of stress and distress. But but I think, thankfully, the new generation, like having having kids who are, well, two 12-year-olds, a teenage daughter, like, it's really... Um, I guess it gives me hope to hear them talk about it. Like I remember my daughter saying, mm. you know, I've noticed that, you know, when I'm on this, when I'm on Instagram too much, I feel worse. Hmm. Or they just notice it. Even though they can get sucked in as much or worse than we can. Like it's, um, you need that awareness or that questioning of why is this thing in my life at each step of the way. And we can certainly help the new generation with that. But I'm learning a lot from them too as they turn more towards a conscious relationship with the planet and uh, mm-hmm. and just being more open to these new modalities and ways of taking care of ourselves. Hmm. That's great. You're yeah. teaching them well. <laughs> yeah. Parenting par- has a lot to do with it. Parenting pro tip, everybody, like have periods of time throughout the week where your children do not are not on screens at all. I mean, maybe this goes without saying, but... And maybe you folks just need a reminder. I know that I do every once in a while with my three boys, but have, even if it, they protest, sometimes we have to do things for our kids that upset them for their own good and making them turn off the Xbox, <laughs> making them <laughs> put yeah. the iPad down and actually look outside uh, or go outside and put their feet in the grass mm-hmm. is yeah. so important. Yep. 
the other guy that does uh, our body work, Ryan, I was getting uh, some work done with him yesterday, and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, my, you know, my two boys, like, they're starting to become aware. Um, he's like, they're starting to understand that they're just different people um, when they're not so engaged with technology. Because like you were saying, you know, that Xbox and social media, you get in that echo chamber of negativity or... He was talking about there's a lot of disrespectful kids, you know, on Xbox. Trash talking. Trash talking. Yeah. And well, and it gets it goes worse than that. It's like, you know, really toxic, really abusive and bullying and racist and sexist. And yeah. It gets pretty negative. Yeah. So he uh, he took their Xbox from last week and I mean, they weren't they weren't happy about it. But he's like, look, you're, you're a different person just a week later. Yeah. Look how happy you are. Look how much more you're spending outside. So just trying to bring that awareness to, to them. Oh, we yeah. were talking about the body. I, I've uh, talked to body workers, physical therapists, who say they're seeing uh, tight hamstrings, they're seeing back pain, they're seeing forward shoulders, they're seeing headaches, you know, in, in kids way earlier than they would ever notice before just mm. because of all the sitting and all the, you know, on the phones or the video game controller. They're seeing orthopedic yeah. problems in children who should be able to squat to the ground, who should be able to touch their toes by default. Yeah, texting neck is a real thing. Yeah, we like, call it nerd neck in our house. Probably. Yeah, coming from the <laughs> the yoga world, I really cringe when I see the impact. Like I know when you sit in a car seat, it has you hunched over a little bit, but that's for crash protection, mm-hmm. like just making this more hollow body kind of feel. Mm-hmm. But when you're that way through the day or when you look at the zombie apocalypse out there and at every stoplight, everyone's down at their phones mm-hmm. or like families walking their kids with a stroller mm-hmm. swiping through their phones and everyone hunched over it's taking its toll on like weakening certain muscles mm-hmm. um tightening up hamstrings hips but also like the psoas starts yeah. to contract yep. this, they call it the seat of the soul this um, muscle that like even in like yoga mythology is where your courage comes from you know there's even there's like hindu mythology of Hanuman, the monkey god, who's leaping across the ocean to save his, uh, like, his, like, loyal friend, guru, with this plant medicine for saving him. But he didn't know he could do it until he took the leap. But they say it was because he had this open psoas. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that by hunching over on texting or video games all day. <laughs> no, and once you see it, you see it everywhere. It's like when yeah, your yeah. friend yeah. when your friend gets a fancy Tesla and all of a sudden you like everyone has Teslas because you you start that yeah. spotlight effect. Yep. You, and I've just been noticing like you look at everyone profile and they've got rounded shoulders, mm-hmm. forward head, you know, posterior pelvic tilt and sway back and yeah, it's m- like mortality rates go up from that. Right. Yeah, it's a real deal. But I think even even worse is that lack of presence that those bring yes. as you're walking around the world swiping and looking at things that aren't real or talking to someone who's not even here mm. and you're not fully present for how your life's unfolding how can you experience life fully it's absolutely true it's, it's having a massive impact on the nervous system oh, playing yeah. video games mm-hmm. being in social media seeing mm-hmm. the things that stimulate emotions that aren't typically stimulated in the natural world um, and people are, people's attention span is completely changed. You can't have long drawn out conversations because content is meant to just come and go at breakneck yep. speed. Right. People don't so, read books as much anymore. I've noticed that yeah. myself. Like when I sit down with an actual paper book, my, my patience for it is shorter yep. than it used to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, same. I have to take my phone and put it elsewhere yeah. to get through a book, and, and it worries me. Like, you know, it, you can get that back through practice, but, uh, yeah, I do worry yeah. about the toll it's taking on us, the distracted world we live in. I think I think the good news is, you know, it's like muscle fatigue. You know, mm-hmm. like you you can train that muscle again to become focused. Yeah. You can actually use reading to to strengthen that muscle again, to practice, to become aware of I'm reading and oh, I'm getting lost after a page and push into that, become aware, get into two pages, get into three pages and just start start flexing that muscle again. Stop letting yeah. it become atrophied. Put your phone somewhere else. Become aware that your phone is making that happen and change habits. Maybe get a ketamine treatment. Start <laughs> reading go. books more. <laughs> yeah, get some CBD. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Thank heavens for neuroplasticity, huh? Yeah. yeah. Right. We're ad- yeah, adaptation machines. Human beings can adjust with the right stimulus. Yeah. I think something else that's great is uh, you both have mentioned like y- you are creating experiences and connection outside of the digital world for your families and that's huge because they know that they feel bad why because they have opportunities for them to feel good and and you're showing that you know and that's kind of what we're doing at work is we're, sh- we're showing people you can feel good and we're giving them the op- opportunity to experience that and again kind of build that muscle within themselves hmm. excellent point mm-hmm. And, you know, to tie it back to psychedelics, I think that's one of the, the things that psychedelics does well is it shows you something, shows you how you can feel. It shows you a different perspective. It gives you an experience. You know, Reed has talked about it as like, uh, what do you call it, Reed? An em, um, embodied knowing, hmm. like it's something where I could explain to you why your limiting beliefs are causing dysfunction in your life. And you might even understand cognitively, like, yeah, well, that kind of makes sense. And you might not change a thing. Mm-hmm. But if you have an uh, experience of those limiting beliefs and you feel it in your bones and in your chakras and in your soul, <laughs> um, you're much more likely to make changes, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, Chase, you were saying earlier how the, the mind can get in the way, right? Mm-hmm. I think we were talking about ayahuasca or something, but, but it's so true. But if you go through the body... I, you know, I think that's a huge hack, a way around the labyrinths of the mind, the mental gymnastics that we're so good at that uh, you can access by this heart-centered, embodied approach. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you mentioned ayahuasca or Peru. Tell us a little about your experience down there. Uh, yeah, so I did a, a month of isolation, um, 16 ceremonies. Wow. Yeah, down yeah. at, at Niwe, Niwe Rao down in Iquitos, Peru. Uh, it was my second time there. We, just back up real quick, all of, all of the founders, we all did a, a founder's trip a year before that. So me, Tal, and Nate Saren went and did two weeks down there, which was very profound and healing and just created a new bond between us us four is really really cool really Best special board meeting i've heard of <laughs> it was it was tough, it was tough. <laughs> a lot <laughs> came up a lot came out but um a lot of healing happened those two weeks um but yeah my my month down there was it was, it was really intense um i went down there to heal my nervous system because uh, mm. my nervous system was shot uh the stress of covid running a business is your business going to make it, you know, businesses around you are closing down. Um, some of your customer base, they're having to close their stores. So 
you know, the stress of COVID and then uh, the, the stress of the documentary and the things that I had to deal with there. So I could, I could feel my nervous system almost like shutting down. Mm. And I was developing some weird neurological issues, um, issues with my brain, um, different frequencies I was starting to hear and just, I couldn't focus, just mm-hmm. full nervous system collapse. So I went down to Peru and it, I would, I would say it, it healed, like it healed my nervous system. Um, learned a lot, um, a lot of, um, a lot of breaking down barriers, um, boundaries, you know, self-love, accepting love. Um, felt like I was going to die one ceremony. Um, and just every ceremony is just so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the medicine is so intelligent. It knows exactly what you need and it's going to give it to you that night. And one thing I love about ayahuasca and really appreciate about it is just how ruthless it is when, when it's going after something like it's going after something. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I had some family trauma. Um, my grandma, um, well, my aunt actually murdered my grandma. Oh no! So I, I, cr- I created, well, I had this stuck energy from that shock trauma within my family DNA. Um, I had that trauma get stuck in my body. And so ayahuasca found that and some of the neurological issues I was having was actually because of that stored energy and that Mm -hmm. trauma. So it took about a week and a half to like clean that out. But, um, yeah, during ceremony, ayahuasca would just attack it and it was painful and the visuals I was seeing and what my body was experiencing, just very challenging and tough, but as we were saying earlier, you know, just kind of remove your mind out of the equation and let nature do what it needs to do to heal you. And I experienced just vastly profound healing. Um, it was definitely life-changing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and extremely difficult work, it sounds like. like. Like you were saying, the only way out is through. But I think it's so neat and profound how you were able to do that unplug from the busy ceo role and take the time you needed to heal mm-hmm. in an environment outside of all that stress that was bombarding you yep yeah, it was weird at first i got down there was setting up my tombow the little hut in the middle of the jungle that i was staying in and the first 30 minutes it was just the energy shift was so weird because hmm. Western culture, running a business, high pace, lots of energy, lots of stimulation, lots of input to nothing. And even just the first day, just nauseating. Um, I cried so much, like just so mm-hmm. much crying. Yeah. Like it was, it was strange. It was strange. And then integrating back, <clears throat> integrating back was really hard. Um, I had a complete meltdown for like four months. Just, it was tough, but I was surrounded. You know, that's, that's one thing about our culture and our business is you're surrounded by the best people who will, you know, hold you up. And Talon and Nate were 
really able to like prop me up until I got mm. through and just integrated and now it's it's really cool because now I feel like a lot of my experience from that month like is what I was experiencing and seeing I'm actually now starting to fully integrate um, just over the last month hmm. like big shifts and changes in my life business-wise personal life are all starting to shift towards what I experienced down there so the, it's, it's fun because I'm just the timing of everything is, yeah it's just fun to be aware of oh it's all starting to integrate now that's why there's so much change happening mm -hmm. within my life because of what i experienced in peru it's really cool it's really special i remember going to lunch with you a little while after you came back and i think i said something like wow you are exuding mindfulness in this moment it was like palpable and then not too long ago my brother who you've met said wow that guy is so zen like <laughs> just this feeling of calm so yeah it's pretty neat to hear the but the whole story it, it sounds like like uh, a zen that was hard won like i really appreciate you being willing to share all those those nitty-gritty details of like the how long this healing process took mm -hmm. you know being down there for a month and I've heard other people who come back from retreats like that and they come back to Western society and it's just like, it's like they're staring at a floodlight. It's mm -hmm. overwhelming. Um, it's not, they, they don't come back enlightened gurus who take everything in stride. It's only a, a beginning or a part of their healing journey. And it, if I understood you right, Chase, it sounds like after you came back, it took a, took a while. And it's, it's still, you're still on the path, right? Oh yeah. For you to integrate and continue to heal. Yes. Yep. I, th I think when I first got back, I was so open mm -hmm. and then I, I just kind of fell back into the, just the Western world culture energy. And it was too overwhelming for, for my body. I mean, I was thinking about leaving and going back cause I just, I couldn't take it. Um, but then started to settle in and just understand kind of like Ramdas talks about like your karma and you know, this role that you're playing and, um, I felt like I really understood my role, which helped me integrate back into the Western culture. Um, but yeah, the healing is just starting and the work really is just starting. And I'll probably be integrating a couple of a year, two years. Um, Town still talks about how she's still integrating from two years ago, just the two week journey. Oh yeah integration is kind of the tricky part of all of this right is we can do these mm -hmm. massive psychedelic experiences and yeah. have profound insight and come back and do nothing with it and just keep on to our old patterns our old habits or we can do mm -hmm. the work and and sometimes it's even tougher work than than the ceremony itself mm -hmm. because oh, you yeah. have to be willing to look at the pattern and interrupt it and choose to change it choose to step into it fully and that part can be hard. That is the hard work because you don't have the psychedelic fireworks, even though there are psychedelic experiences that are extremely terrifying, difficult, right? Oh, uh, yeah. The integration is the harder part to continually do, I think, and where the rubber meets the road yep. and a process I think is never done. Like that's almost the journey we're on is is continually integrating and, you know, piecing ourselves back together. Yeah. Well, and you got to find a way to dissolve ego without the help of the medicine, right? And 
that's one reason I've tried to dive into meditation. I feel like mindfulness meditation or transcendental meditation is the best tool I've found. One of several, but probably the best tool I've found mm-hmm. um, to to integrate because it's the closest I can get to psychedelic consciousness, really aware, really present consciousness. Yeah, totally agree. Meditation's been huge for me. Well, it's it's the daily practice of coming back to yourself. Yeah. Like, like we talked about, we live in a world where everything is trying to pull us far away from that. And with meditation, you really are pulling yourself back to you. And, you know, sitting and learning like, okay, how did I show up today? I think Joe Dispenza has some really great meditations for that. Where did I mm-hmm. fall out of grace? Yeah. And, okay, here's that pattern showing up again. Because we can become cognizant of the things in our lives, but it's it's great to know those things but like the moments they happen the experiences of them happening and like being cognizant then and transmuting in in the moments rather than just like knowing about them are there any other practices Mm. that you guys implement that you feel like are really helped with integration besides meditation cold water therapy Mm. it's been big for me lately Uh, i try to jump in the river two to three times a week wow so that um, what do you feel like it does for you gets me into the body mm-hmm. yeah stops stops the mind chatter because uh, it's, it's like man when you hit that water it's like nothing else in the world matters besides <laughs> trying to stay in but then also trying to um, just breathe just breathe and so that's that's been a really good practice for me um we've been taking the company out and doing it and it's been it's been fun to watch people who you're like i don't know if they're gonna do it and they do it and they have this profound experience and they get out after and it's it's fun to just watch others kind of push the boundaries of what they think they're capable of um, and how many of you in, in the audience work at a company that will take you to jump in a cold river? Like, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty awesome. How cool is that? <laughs> that's pretty yeah, we awesome. get that perspective, too. I like, can picture it, too, because I go to the river across from your office sometimes for a plunge. You need to come oh, yeah. try it. We'll sync I'm up down. with them yeah. sometime. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, but that's amazing. I think for me, one of the tools that I've used is um, I got a life coach. Mm-hmm. And... The reason that's important for me is this person has done a lot of their own inner work and they can be a very strong mirror for me to show me when I am showing mm-hmm. up in a pattern that I might not be cognizant of. Sometimes we're kind of like unaware of our own stuff, oh, yeah. right? And it's hard to see. So having people around me that can be a strong mirror to, to reflect back how I'm behaving yeah. or how I'm showing up. And that keeps the work going for me because I can't just pretend I'm like good to go. You know, like mm-hmm. you get these reflections of like, oh, you're showing up like this. And I think that's been a really huge tool. One that I didn't really know was a thing until the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been pivotal. Um, community, being around people, it's pivotal mm-hmm. because we, especially in a room like this where, where you guys are doing work, on yourselves and you can kind of share those things that that have brought you closer to yourself and um that keep me thinking that keep me in check um that's been probably one of the most profound tools for me as of late the community yeah yeah the other one um yeah having mirrors and being a mirror mm-hmm. for other people 
Yeah, that's been good. She's been, since she got her life coach, she's actually been helping me integrate a lot and just, hey, are you aware of this? And I think that creating that space of non-judgmental, giving feedback, I think that is just so critical for really anybody in their, their growth. Well, the blind spots, uh, psychedelics, they they are going to show you your blind spots yeah. sometimes very harshly but we get to practice that we get to practice showing people their blind spots in a very loving way mm-hmm. um and it's fun it's cool to give oh, yeah. people that feedback and create those containers of of growth and love and and that pushes pushes the whole forward you know it's we talk about changing the world we want to change other people it doesn't that's not how it works <laughs> We get to start with ourselves. We get to change ourselves. We get to experience what we're experiencing, integrate it, and then show other people what's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you heal within and then in your tribe, your small groups, mm-hmm. and then in your broader community. And then you project that out to the world. That's how we save ourselves from getting gobbled up and recycled by the planet because we're so unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we should probably wrap up, not cool. because I want to, but because our cameras are going to run out of space. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where should folks go to learn more about you guys and Hemp Lucid? Uh, our website, hemplucid.com, um, so sh- all social media uh, platforms, Hemp Lucid. Um, I'm not really active on social media. She's probably more active on social media. I know for all the shit we just talked about social media, follow us on Instagram <laughs> yeah. at Dr. Right. Steve Thayer. We're not immune to being human. <laughs> at Interspace Doctor. <laughs> Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers. Assume the roles, right? Yeah. Like Ramdas says. Right. Yeah. Assume the roles. Yeah. But it's been great. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for for everything. I mean it's 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 pretty cool, you know, what we've been able to do with our company, you know, utilizing the ketamine treatments and you know, you guys facilitating those, like, it's awesome because on the backside, like, we get to see the transformation, like, really take hold and people really reorient reorient their lives to more of, like, the positive. Um, it's been, it, it's probably the coolest thing that we do with our company is to watch, watch the shift in people after treatments yeah so thank you guys for what you do um you know cedar nova mind it's i mean it's it's incredible work you guys are having a tremendous impact on people so thank you likewise it's such a neat partnership you know and it is a powerful thing to watch the transformation so thank you too as well Yeah. yeah it's great to have people just come into my office and just cry in oh, my yeah. arms like <laughs> yeah. you won't believe what happened and Dr. Reed talked to me and this thing that happened and I've healed from this experience and just to be able to have that intimate connection with a person like it's for me it's what it's right. all about the rekindling of the human spirit and you guys are having a big part in that yeah. that and, and the setup you guys have is amazing it's professional, it's mm-hmm. clean, it, it's safe. Um, you're doing it right. And it's, it's making big, big waves. Mm-hmm. So we're truly appreciative of the space and, and the bravery, for sure, showing up in a world that, again, doesn't like to talk about this stuff. Yeah, right. And you guys are podcasting about it. And <laughs> <laughs> right. Sharing the good word, if you will. Well, thank so you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. 
course. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means a lot to me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, suggestions, skating criticisms, etc., please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.